Amen. Cool. Thanks, Mad. Hey, everyone. How are you doing? Doing good. You're doing great. I am too. I'm excited to be preaching this morning. And we're actually going to dive straight into the message. Uh, Today we're going to continue with our series on the Trinity. And last Sunday, Matt did an awesome job at showing us why understanding the nature of the Trinity is so important for us. If you were not here last Sunday, I highly encourage you to listen to the podcast online. It was really, really good. And basically what we learned last week is that the fact that God exists in three persons in one shows us that God's very essence, God's nature, God's way of being is in community, relational. In other words, God is never alone. And that right there is a paradigm shift that hits most of us because when we think about God, many of us at least, we imagine that old dude with the long beard that's somewhere out there, distant, kind of angry looking at us, keeping tabs on us. And when we look at the Trinity, we see that that's just not true because the Trinity shows us that God is actually a father and a son and a spirit that coexist in this awesome relationship where they are so close They're actually indivisible. They share their identity. They share their love for one another. They put the other one first. And this fellowship is nothing less than a perfect way of being in relationship with others. Now, this is how God operates. This is what what God says. This, This is how I am. And what's even better, I think, is that God's desire is to share this with us, to extend it with us. God is not exclusive. God doesn't say, this is my perfect reality. You're kind of distant from it. You cannot have access to it. He says, I want to share this with you. And that thing right there, a lot of us struggle with that. That's where we get a hiccup. And I want to give you an example. Have you ever been to a place where everyone else seemed to be having the time of their lives and you, for some reason, felt left out. Yes, I think it's happened to all of us. Maybe it's happened, you know, if you've been to a party or to a family event. Maybe you went to visit someone else's family for the first time and you walk in and they all seem to get along really well. They're comfortable around each other. They chat, they laugh. They do all this family life, this fellowship in such a way that is... It's inviting that you say, that's really good. But there you are standing, feeling kind of left out. I know this is just a human example, but in a way, this is how many of us feel when we hear about the Trinity. That's, that's exactly what happens. And let me give you an example. Most of us are okay. You know, we have these three chairs right here facing each other. Most of us are okay with the idea of Father, Son, Spirit, they're in this perfect unity, perfect harmony, this fellowship that's beautiful, that's loving, that's always giving. We can look at it and say, okay, that's what it turns about, all right, and that's as far as we can go. We look at it and we say, okay, that's God's reality, but that's not my reality. If you, if you look at my life, you will know that I don't live in this perfect fellowship, everything's loving and everything's wonderful. My reality is distant. I am somewhere over here. This is me. I can still look at it, I can appreciate it, I can see it from the distance, but I'm disconnected from it. Not my reality. That's how most of us see that. But what if I told you that that reality, that this perfect fellowship was available to you? What if I told you that each and every one of us here has access to God and to this perfect fellowship of love? How, you may say? 
Well, the answer is through Jesus. And you're going to say, yes, but how? I've heard that many times. How does that work? Well, that's what the sermon's all about. If last week we talked about the Father's heart to embrace the Son, and not only the Son, but all of humanity, today we're going to see how the Son makes this possible through an act of reconciliation. And for us to understand this, a great place to start is with the incarnation. And I know that that sounds like a big word for many of us. It's loaded, it's heavy, it's too far out there. But bear with me, do not check out just yet. We're going to unpack this. The word incarnation literally means to become flesh. That's all it means. It's simple, it's accessible. To become human. So when we talk about the incarnation of Jesus... What we're saying is that God himself took human form and dwelled among us. That's what it means. And the million dollar question is, why? Why on earth did God do that? And why does it even matter to us? Well, the reasons are endless. And honestly, only God knows them all. So I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to give you three. I want this to be as accessible as possible. And I want you to hold on to these three verbs as I say them because we're going to just unpack so much about the incarnation. It's going to be so awesome and so mind-blowing. You just wait. Through the incarnation, Jesus does three things, at least. He reaches out to us in our humanity, reveals the mystery of God to us, and reconciles us back to the Father. Hold on to those three verbs again. Jesus reaches out. Jesus reveals... And Jesus reconciles, all right? Let's start with the first one. Jesus reaches out. Remember how I mentioned earlier that most of us think that God is someone that is distant and unapproachable and many times angry? Well, that is not a coincidence that you think that. We all think that at some point. That's just the evidence of our human brokenness or what people call our human fallenness which can be traced all the way back to Genesis and the creation account, which most of us have heard, right? Yep. Once upon a time, at the beginning of creation, humans lived in perfect harmony with God and were able to see God face to face. We were in perfect harmony with this God and we had a relationship that was loving and nurturing and face to face. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. This was life as God intended it to be. But this perfect harmony, this face-to-face relationship was broken when humanity chose to look elsewhere to find happiness or the meaning of life or whatever it is that we're all looking for. And by doing that, we turned away from God. And did you see that? We turned away from God. God didn't. This is pretty big. Okay, this is huge. Because what this tells us is that God's desire to share His love with us, His nature with us, His presence with us, His fullness of life, that desire has never changed. It has always been there. So what we see in the incarnation is just the physical manifestation of this desire of God to be with us and to reach out to us, but in a different place now, a place of darkness where we live and for that to happen for that relationship to be possible again he needs to become one of us we're going to get into that in a second this is how god reaches out to us 
He steps out of his being. He steps out of everything he knows. Well, he knows everything, but this perfect place, place, and reaches out to us. And that is so beautiful. Because he doesn't stay up here and say, Hey, you. Hey, you down there. You, come over here. Come meet me right here. Here where I am. Hey, I'm going to send you some instructions. You got to do it nicely. You have to do, you have to do things right. Come over here. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm going to come all the way to up wherever you are and I'm going to meet you exactly where you are. See the difference? It's a big difference. I'm going to become one of you. Now, what I just told you, you know, when I started with the creation and humankind and all that too, I'm going to become one of you. That's basically what the Apostle John tells us at the beginning of his gospel. And if you have your Bibles, feel free to open them. We're going to go through a few verses. If you have time during the week, read the whole chapter. It's an amazing chapter full of amazing things. Right now, we're going to highlight only a few verses. They're going to be on the screen too. Verse 1. In the beginning... Remember how Genesis starts? In the beginning, God created. John tries to go back to the creation narrative and give us so much, a little more about it. And he says, in the beginning was the Word. And when we see the Word in the Bible, it's just another way of referring to Jesus. Okay? So, in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. That sounds like a tongue twister, but that is such a crazy revelation about God being different persons, but also being one. Jesus was with God, but Jesus was also God. Huge Trinitarian display there. Now, verse 4. In Him, who? Jesus. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. Now, here we see how from the beginning... From the very beginning in creation, Jesus was intended to be the giver of life. Not only is he referred to as the word, he's also referred to as the light of the world. Verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And so here we see God's desire to come into our reality. This is God reaching out into our brokenness and meet us right where we are. Finally, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. School stuff, huh? I think. Well, you know, for many years, I struggled with the idea that Jesus was the Son of God and, and God Himself. I mean, I was okay with the idea of a God somewhere out there, removed, distant, that was safe. Sure, I'm sure there's a God. This world is too wonderful to, to not have a God. I was also okay with the idea of this human being that was really cool. I mean, when I, when you look at what Jesus did and how we, he treated people and others, I mean, you think, I would, I would follow him. I mean, if he was in the flesh today, I would follow him on Twitter. It was cool. But from that to he was the son of God, that was a little bit of a stretch for me. That was a little much. And I'm sure that's probably a stretch for some of you today. But let me tell you why it is so important to know and to accept that Jesus was 100% human and 100% God. Not 50-50, fully human and fully God. Here's why. Because if Jesus was only divine, not human at all, just divine, that would mean that God is unable to fully reach us in our darkness and in our humanity. And if 
Jesus was only human, no divinity at all. If he was only human, if he ceased to be the son who lives in perfect relationship with the father and the spirit, then he would have nothing extraordinary to offer to us. Zero. And the, and the ability to participate in the life of the Trinity would be absolutely impossible. Do you see the importance of being both? Think about it this way. Imagine that there, that there is a group of people trapped in the bottom of a collapsed mine, way down there. And suppose that there is a rescue team and they only set up shop on the surface and never actually go into the mine. What would be the point of that? There would be no rescue at all because they would never reach the people that are down there. Now let's turn that around. Now imagine that a rescue team does go down to the mine but loses complete contact with the surface crew. In that case, they would be lost as well because they would not know the way out. So it is necessary to be on both sides for the mission to be successful and the same applies to the incarnation. And I wish I could tell you that I came up with that, but I did not. A friend of mine gave me that, a really great scholar called Baxter Kruger. God becoming flesh is his way of saying, I am not a distant God. In fact, I am so close to you. I'm as close to you as I can be. I know what it's like to experience humanity in all its brokenness. I know what it's like to be in pain, to be joyful, to feel anxiety, to be hungry, to be poor, to be rich. You do not go through anything alone. I can identify with you because as a human, I've gone through it all. That's how God identifies with us in every place. Number two, through the incarnation, Jesus reveals God to us. Okay, so God desires to reach out to us so much that he becomes one of us. Then what? Well, then he lives life like the rest of us. He is born of a woman's womb, just like everyone else. He grows up, learns how to speak, how to walk. He becomes a teenager, a young adult, goes through all of that craziness. He officially begins his ministry. And yes, he pulls lots of miracles. He heals the sick, casts out, cast out demons. But he also goes to lots of parties. And he connects with his friends and helps his mom at home. Just like the rest of us. Now, why am I saying all of that? Because many of us, when we talk about the, the role of Jesus in the Christian faith... We go straight to his death. And God become, became flesh and died. And, resur- and, and we missed the whole life. And a lot happened there. If we want to pay attention to the ways in which God reveals himself to us through Jesus, we need to look at the life of Jesus. Because everything he did and the way he did it revealed to us what the Father is like. Everything he did. In Colossians, um, Colossians, Paul says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. I'm going to let that sink in. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And what that means is that if we want to know what God is like, if we want to see, is he really... What I think he is, I want to know, God, what are you like? Very simple. Look at Jesus. Jesus reveals who God is. It's as simple as that. 
And when we look at the Gospels and the full extension of Jesus' life, we see that he was awesome, that he treated everyone with respect. He was accessible to people. He loved those around him. He was forgiven. He was compassionate. He welcomed all. He was super inclusive. That's what Jesus was like. And if we stay true to the Trinity, if Jesus is like that, that means that the Father is also like that. I'm not making this up. Jesus said it himself. John 14, 9, Jesus said, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How awesome is that? Let me share with you something that happened to me a while ago. I was part of a church where there was this lady. She was an older lady. And every time I saw her, she she just seemed to be like standoffish, like kind of cold. And when I saw her interact with people, her body language, I just couldn't quite figure it out. I just thought she wasn't very warm. I thought, oh, she's probably, oh. So I made a mental note, stay away from this lady. And that I did. And I mean, she if she would be walking in my direction, I would quickly find my way to another place. And I did that for a while. I don't know why I did that. That was a while ago. Don't worry. It's no one here. <laughs> Woo! No one here. But anyway, I did that. And every time I looked at her, from the distance, of course, I reinforced all the notions and preconceived ideas I had about her. To me, she was just a grumpy old lady who was standoffish and cold. End of story. Well, one day I had the opportunity to get to know her. I had to. We were going to do some kind of ministry together. And so I met her. And to my surprise, I found out that not only was she very nice, she also had a heart of gold. She served so many communities. She helped so many people. When she engaged with others, even though her body language was saying one thing, the response of others, they were feeling loved and embraced and taken care of by this lady. She was very friendly and just straight up phenomenal. But I would have never known that about her unless I entered into relationship with her. Do you see where I'm going with it? It's pretty obvious. Yeah. You can read about God all you want. You can study Him and analyze Him from the distance as if God was an object. You can come up with all sorts of conclusions about Him. But unless you get to know Him personally, unless you enter into a relationship with Him, you will never know what God is truly like and how big is the extent of His love for you. You will never know that. That is what fascinates me about the Incarnation. That God didn't choose to reveal Himself through a doctrine or through something that we can look at from the distance. No, He chose a person. And the only way for us to discover what this person is like is through relationship. Do you see how smart that is? Even in the way that God chose to reveal Himself, He stayed true to His nature. Relational. Always relational. This is how the Apostle Paul described Jesus to the Hebrew people. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of His nature. The exact imprint of His nature. So that's just another way of saying that the access to God's glory and the nature of God found in Jesus Christ is found in Jesus Christ, sorry. And the outworking of this access is found in our third point, which talks about reconciliation. 
Through the incarnation, Jesus reconciles. Okay, so so far we've seen that God desires to step out of His perfect fellowship with the Son and the Holy Spirit in order to meet us in our flesh. Through the incarnation, Jesus doesn't only reach out to us, He embraces our humanity without stopping, you know, without ceasing to be divine. But then the incarnation doesn't stop there. The story doesn't end there. Because if the desire of the Father is to embrace humanity and to restore it, then something needs to happen in order for us to be moved from our state of darkness into the perfect fellowship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. That's what Jesus' death on the cross accomplishes. But before we get into that detail, I would like to go back to creation again. When humans were face to face with God, remember this, when humans were face to face at the beginning of creation, they also participated in God's perfect nature. They shared that nature with them, which was a holy nature. But when we decided to turn away from God, we also chose to partake of a different nature outside of God. That is obviously the sinful nature. And the result of that choice was that humanity and divinity could no longer coexist together. Different natures just don't merge. Now when Jesus becomes incarnate, not only does he take human form, he also takes our sinful nature. And by doing that, he makes possible what was impossible after the fall. To have divinity and human nature coexist as one. That was a miracle. The church father Athanasius said it this way. That is the purpose of our Lord's incarnation. That he should join what is human by nature to him who is by nature God. It's a good quote, isn't it? I also need to confess a secret reason why I chose this quote and no other quote from a church father. When I was in seminary, for my church history final, I had to write this very long paper on the incarnation using Athanasius' work. And that was so painful. I spent months and months and months looking at these old documents. And I remember thinking to myself, when am I ever going to use this stuff? <laughs> Don't we all say that? Do you say that over there? I bet you do. <laughs> when am I ever going to use this? And well, the day has finally come. <laughs> I used it. Anyway, back to our sermon. Through the incarnation... The Son becomes the point of union between humanity and the divine. And that's just a beautiful image of how Jesus holds absolutely everything together in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. But there is more to that. Because what Jesus does to that sinful nature is that He nails it on the cross and puts it to death so that what we get on the other side of the cross is a resurrected Jesus with no more sin in His flesh. That's powerful stuff. That is what Paul was trying to explain all throughout his letter to people. When he talked to the Colossians again, he said, For God was pleased to have his fullness dwelled in him. Not a little bit of him, not 50% of God, his fullness of God in Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
Now, the word that he uses is reconciliation, to reconcile, which comes from the Latin reconciliare, which is very easy for me to say. And it literally means to bring back together. Okay? Just reconciliation is bringing us back together to this perfect union. And now the word that theologians use for this, a bigger word, is atonement, which I'm sure you've heard before too. And it can feel heavy, it can feel removed from us, but this is a very easy way for us to remember what atonement means. Just parse it out at one meant. To bring at one, to bring to unity. Easy? Now you can explain atonement to people. Okay, now I know that all those are just words. But when we talk about the atoning work of Christ, many of us only talk about Jesus suffering on the cross, right? What did Jesus do for you? Oh, he was born in the flesh and then he died and he resurrected. That's what we hear. He suffered, he died, he resurrected. And many people end there. But we know that that's not where the story ended because after Jesus resurrects, what happens? He appears to people for 40 days. This is when when Thomas sees him and sees that he's got his hands or wrists pierced. This is when he promises the Holy Spirit to people. So he appears to people for 40 days and then what happens after that? Do you know? The ascension. Jesus ascended back to heaven. And when he ascends, he does it as a resurrected man. And that is the moment when Jesus reconciles the entire humanity back to the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. So in other words, back to our example here with the chairs. We have the perfect fellowship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. They are face to face. They desire to share that with humanity, but it's impossible because it's a different nature. So what Jesus does as the Son is he steps out of this fellowship and meets us right where we're at here with his stool is distant, removed. He embraces us in our flesh, never stops being divine. He nails all that sin on the cross, dies, resurrects, ascends. We bring the stool closer to the chairs. But most of people, most of us people, when we imagine this in our heads, this reconciliation, we imagine something like this. The chair kind of attached to Jesus, but still outside of this perfect fellowship. We're connected. We're way closer than we were. We get a glimpse of God. We've got this kind of contained channel through which we can access God, but we don't have the fullness of the fellowship. And this is not what happens. What happens is that Jesus takes us and puts us right in the middle of the perfect fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Embraced by the Father, reconciled by the Son, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is the kind of access that Jesus gives us to the Trinity. It's pretty huge. That is why it's so important for us to understand the full extent of God's incarnation. Which, by way of summary, began with God's desire to share himself with us. And that included, the incarnation included Jesus' birth as one of us, his life where he revealed God to us and showed us the way, his death to the sinful nature, his resurrection and his ascension when he restores all things back to the original. And amen. Now, how is all of this relevant in our day-to-day lives? We just did a crazy exercise of theology and all these things. 
But how is that important to me right now as I walk out the door? What are those implications? I'm sure you already came up with some on your own, but I want to give you mine. And in fact, I almost feel like I shared all of that just so that I could tell you this. The reasons why I find love so fascinating. The reason why I find the Trinity so relevant to my life. For starters, it shows me that God's nature is relational. Not only is he, he, no longer is he that lonely, distant God. He's relational. And for me, that is huge. Because when I see him relating to others through Jesus, I see that there's only love. There's forgiveness and there's compassion. And you have no idea how much I need that. Unless you know me very well and you know that I need a lot of that. When I mess up, which is quite often, instead of fearing an angry God that is ready to judge me, I encounter someone who embraces me and meets me in my brokenness and says, it's okay. Do you have any idea of how much freedom that gives me? In the past, I used to feel undeserving of God's love. I thought that I had to earn it, that I had to earn some kind of forgiveness. But today, every time I messed up, I can rest in the Father's embrace knowing that I do not need to earn that love or that forgiveness because that's just His nature. He's loving. He's forgiving. That's who He is. That's who Jesus reveals about God. And God cannot be something that He's not. He can only be what He is. And that's the nature that Jesus Christ reveals. That... That constant embrace, that self-giving, that loving, that sharing of everything that we can see in the image. And if it's too small, just go talk to Pastor Matt. He just got that thing tattooed on his arm because he's very committed to the series. (laughs) I am too, but I won't do it. No, it's, it's it's a great image. Another reason why I find the Trinity super exciting is because when I see Jesus in the context of the Trinity... Okay, always in the context of the Trinity, not just as human, but as human and divine. I stop seeing Jesus as the kumbaya dude that is super corny on most films I've seen. And instead, he becomes this person that is inviting, that is intriguing, exciting, all-powerful. I begin to see him for who he truly is, the very God of the universe, able to hold everything together while also loving me in my greatest moments of weakness. That's a God for you. The third reason why the Trinity fascinates me is because when I see myself as part of this perfect fellowship, this divine dance, my life, my life stops being ordinary and everything I do becomes extraordinary. Because when I become aware of my participation in the fellowship of the Trinity, I realize that everything I do, absolutely everything I do, whether it's enjoying a good meal or talking to friends, feeling joy or feeling pain, falling in love, falling out of love, enjoying time with my family, whatever it is that I do, I do it with God. And there's nothing ordinary about that. I find that awesome. Because... I go from being independent and self-sufficient, which quite frankly adds so much pressure to me, to being interdependent with God, coexisting and partnering with a God that knows me and loves me deeply. Those are only three reasons why I love so God so much. What are yours?
What are yours? As we come to the table to take communion, I want to invite you to meditate on the Trinity, what you heard today. The kind of access that Jesus gives us to this perfect fellowship. You know, when Jesus says, follow me, that is the invitation. That is what he's inviting us to. This amazing fellowship It's a transformational journey. A journey that we live through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Dave's going to talk about that next week. So come back. Think about that. Come forward. Take the elements and hold on to them. Because we're going to take them together. Father God, we, we thank you for who you are. We find you amazing. It's mesmerizing. It blows our mind to know that you would love us so much to meet us exactly where we're at. Thank you for revealing the mystery of the Trinity to us. Thank you for loving us, for forgiving us, for giving us life, joy, laughter, and all good things in life. We ask you, Father, to help us embrace these truths, to walk with you, and to be blessed by you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.